Welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast, where powerful women are interviewed every week to share real inspiring stories and incredible insight to help women or anyone break the barriers, be a part of innovation, shatter the glass ceiling, and dominate to the top of their sport, industry, or life's mission. Join us as we celebrate exceptional women and step into our power. And now, here's your host, Angela Gennari. Thank you for joining us for the Pretty Powerful Podcast. This is Angela Gennari, and I have the pleasure of speaking with Stephanie Stuckey today. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you. So I wanted to read your bio because you have an incredibly interesting past. Um, I know that you are now the CEO of Stuckey's, but prior to that, you've had a full career in a completely different industry. Several different industries. (laughs) (laughs) And so you just, I am just fascinated with your journey. So Stephanie Stuckey is the CEO of Stuckey's, the highway oasis that's been serving pecan log rolls and kitschy souvenirs to road trippers since 1937. Founded by her grandfather, W.S. Stuckey Sr. in Eastman, Georgia, Stuckey's grew to over 350 stores nationwide by its peak in the 1970s. The company was sold in 1964 and sadly declined for decades under a series of corporate owners. Fortunately, Stuckey's is now in family hands again and making a comeback with a mission to make road trips fun. Stephanie received both her undergraduate and law degrees from the University of Georgia. Go dogs. She worked as a trial lawyer and was elected to seven terms as a state representative, ran an environmental nonprofit law firm, served as director of sustainability for the city of Atlanta, and taught as an adjunct professor at the University of Georgia School of Law. Stephanie purchased Stuckey's in November of 2019 and assumed the role of CEO at that time. Stephanie's achievements include being named one of the 100 most influential Georgians by Georgia Trend Magazine and a graduate of Leadership Atlanta. She is active in her community and has served on many nonprofit boards, including the National Sierra Club Foundation, Earth Chair of Georgia, and her local zoning review board. When she's not running the Stuckey's Candy and Pecan Shelling Plant in Rens, Georgia, or the distribution operations in Eastman, Georgia, Stephanie enjoys traveling by car to explore the back roads of America and pulling over for every roadside oddity and souvenir shop along the way. <laughs> I that love that. Right. And yes. that is absolutely true because yes. I watch your LinkedIn and you have some incredible adventures and I just thank love you. it. <laughs> so thank you for being here. What an incredible story. I'm delighted. So, um, you know, one of the things that I think is so neat about your story is that you are the third generation of Stucky. Uh, family members to run the 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 company, but it didn't start out as easily as it sounds. You didn't just inherit it. That's you right. guys had to fight to get it back. Well, yeah, it's a little complicated. It was out of our family hands for decades after my grandfather sold the company in 1964. Right. My dad and his business partners got it back in 1985. They were running a very successful business. Right. We're not right. looking to add Stuckies to that portfolio. Okay. They had the exclusive rights to have franchise locations for Dairy Queens on the interstate highway system. Oh, interesting. Company okay. my father founded. And they had the opportunity to get Stuckies back. And at that point, Stuckies was losing money. The company that had acquired it through there was a couple of corporate takeovers. They did not want Stuckey's, and it was a liability on their books. Okay. So my father got it. 
but it was not profitable and he had profitable businesses. Okay. So he essentially propped Stuckey's up. He got it off of essentially a deathbed. Right. Resurrected the brand and he paired it with his Dairy Queen. Okay. And largely the revenue and the structure, the financial structure, the human resource capacity, all of that from his Dairy Queen business helped give life to Stuckey's. Right. Fast forward 30 years, my dad sells his Dairy Queen business okay. to Warren Buffett, who owns American Dairy Queen. Oh, interesting. I didn't know. Right? And Warren Buffett didn't want Stuckey's. Right. In a way, I'm disappointed because he would have run it really well. But right. if he had, I wouldn't be sitting here today talking to you. So Stuckey's was left on its own without that infrastructure to support it. And my father and his business partners at this point are on their 70s. They just right. made a good chunk of change selling out to Berkshire Hathaway. They retire. Right. They leave a small but dedicated crew running Stuckey's. At that point, we did not own or operate any of the stores. Right. We did not own our distribution facility. We did not own manufacturing. So it was just a skeleton of what it had once been. And it was gradually declining and was losing money by the time I was approached. Right. So crazy and journey your there. father's franchise expertise is what kind of led Stuckey's down the road of franchising Stuckey's. Is that right? Because I remember seeing something about 65 franchise locations. Well, at its peak, there were 368 stores in right. 40 states and they were franchised. Okay. So my grandfather was franchising really sort of in the early era of franchising. So okay. he came along with Holiday Inn, uh-huh. Kimmins Wilson, and we were talking before we went live about the incubator group that you're with right? that's composed of CEOs, which I absolutely love. Correct. And this network yeah. of CEOs, you see these all over the country, and it's so important. And my grandfather had that network. Yeah. And it was Young Presidents Association, which is still YPO, Young Presidents There's, Organization, yeah, still, still around. around. Right. Still absolutely. around. So he was friends with Kimmins Wilson okay. of Holiday Inn, and that was franchise. So he was sort of around in that era. Okay. Colonel Sanders, I would love to say he knew him. He did not. He right. did know... The Waffle House founders, okay. and Joe Rogers Sr. Wow. So it's fascinating to me that sort of this early era of franchising, they knew each other. So it was franchised, but by the time my dad got it, mm-hmm. really was not in good shape. Okay. And again, it was not the profit driver for his business. Dairy Queen was extremely successful. So he focused, rightfully so, on mm-hmm. what was earning revenue. Right. And then when left... Without that support system in place, right. Stuckey's began to decline, mm-hmm. and the, there were 68 stores when I took over. And like you said, I, I, it was not your typical third-generation right. acquisition. I did not inherit the brand. I did not grow up in the company. Right. I'm number four or five kids. I was not groomed to be the pecan log roll heiress. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so... It's an atypical path. I bought absolutely. the company and I joked that I had to learn from the top down yeah, instead absolutely. of from the bottom up, which the way you should do it right. is from the bottom up. I sh- you should start as a stock clerk and yeah, learn the business and know the ropes. But no, I came in day one as CEO, not having a clue yeah. how to do just about anything. But you made a really <laughs> smart acquisition early on. Yes. And that has helped tremendously, I imagine, um, just in bringing in the right expertise and in broadening your depth 
or broadening your scope of what you can pr produce, which is the pecan log rolls and, and the, um, you know, you have, is a pecan farm? Is that what it was? No. So close. Right. I brought in a business partner and we jointly owned the company. That okay. was a very deliberate decision mm -hmm. that we are equal in the company and we really do share in how we run the company and, and how we own the company. Right. So he is a pecan farmer by training third generation. Right. And saw that. He brought that expertise to the table. But the pecan farm is not part of the corporation. Okay. What we own, he has a healthy snack nut company, Front Porch Pecan. So that came under the umbrella of Stuckey's and he's got a portfolio of business clients and Whole Foods, for example, has right. sold his product. So sort sort of in the health food market. Okay. And then we have not so healthy, but right. certainly delicious, <laughs> delicious candy treats. Right. And so we merged our two companies. And I joke, at the time, we both had negative EBITDA for our companies. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we really had to go back and forth on how do you evaluate these two companies and how do we figure out the merger? It was quite the learning experience. But jointly, we bought an existing pecan shelling pecan candy and fundraising business all under the same ownership. Okay. And we merged all of those companies into one a year ago. Wow. That brought on the manufacturing capacity. Wow. That's, That's been a game changer. So the company went from operating three figures in debt to we just finished out 2021, a little over 2 million net. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. What a huge turnaround in a yeah. short amount of time. In a short wow. time. And a huge part of that yeah. is attributed to acquiring a profitable company right, right, that right. was manufacturing the product that we made. And I'm a huge believer that manufacturing is part of growing our economy. Absolutely. So it's not just growing our business. I think more and more we need to get back to making things ourselves. And we've learned with COVID all of the challenges with global imports and trying to get product that we yeah. need and the supply chain shortages. And yeah. again, I'm not saying I certainly recognize we live in a global economy. Of course. So I don't think we should isolate ourselves. But we also need to start making things again in this country. I agree. And and it gives you more leverage over the quality, right? So 100%. Of what you're putting out there, you know the quality because you've seen from start to finish how it's all made. And, and you, you get this, Angela. That. You're a mom. Yes. When it comes to food, mm -hmm. you want to know where your food comes Absolutely. from. Absolutely. And you want to know that it's locally grown and yeah. not been shipped you know, from overseas to your table, because it does make a quality difference, right? And you 100%. know, you're supporting your local community in that way. So I your think local community, your local farmers, we mm -hmm. buy direct from the farmers. Wow. That's we don't great. buy from a broker. So that helps keep the cost down. Absolutely. And I, a lot of folks don't know this, but the only snack nut native to this country is the pecan. Really? Yes. The only snack tree nut. I had no idea. So hmm. cashews aren't even grown here. Almonds, pistachios, not native to the U.S. Brazil nut, clearly not native right, right. by its name. Right. Peanut is a legume. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't count as a tree nut. And so we're the, we're the snack nut native to this country. Over 80% wow. of the world's production is in the U.S. Interesting. And wow. the number one pecan producing state we're in it right now, Georgia. Oh, nice. We're not the peach state. I love peaches, but we're I number know. three in peaches. <laughs> we're, the, we're the pecan state. So I say all that to say 
when you're trying to revive your company or you're right. trying to start a company from the start, look at what your assets are. Right. What is your strong suit? Do more of that. And what isn't your strong suit? Don't do that. Right. Let it go. Right. So we're known for the pecan log roll. Mm-hmm. I merged with a business partner who's got a healthy side of the business. So we, mm-hmm. we're, we're covering both sides and we're re- respecting and recognizing that the food trends are going towards healthier. Absolutely. Yeah. So that has to be part of our trajectory as we move forward. Mm-hmm. And we happen to live in the heart of pecan country. Right. Okay. So you're saying pecan. So the, the age old um, debate, is it pecan or pecan? I say both, actually. I really? slip back and forth, and I often listen to what the person says right, with whom right, I'm talking. Right. <laughs> but my grandfather would say they're pecans when you pick them, oh, cons when you sell them. <laughs> interesting. And I think it's mostly because we're from middle Georgia. Sure. I naturally will say pecan. And uh-huh. when I say that, it's suddenly I'm saying y'all and or yonder <laughs> and... That's I'm funny. fixing to, right, and right. the <laughs> South Georgia comes out of me, and I think sometimes people's impressions <laughs> of me is suddenly, I don't know. But maybe I should just embrace that. After yeah. all, our brand is known for selling ashtrays shaped like toilets to say, put well. your butt here. So <laughs> I might as well just embrace the southern embrace the redneck, yeah. my inner my inner redneck. Be proud of it. it. Yeah, I love it. Own it. it. And pecan. I, <laughs> it's a pecan. <laughs> so one of the things that I love about your brand and what your grandfather built through the years, and I remember as a kid driving and seeing all the billboards. Yes. Your grandfather was genius because he didn't just form Stucky's Roadside. And and this, you know, I, I read the story and it's fascinating. He started it with $35 that he borrowed from his mother yes. and a borrowed truck. That's right. And, and you know, his, his idea was he was going to go to local farmers buy pecans, mm-hmm. pecans, and sell them um, in a in a little roadside yeah. stand. Yeah. And he did so well with it, he started doing, you know, he would go and find honey, and he would have his wife, Ethel, which, by the way, is my great-grandmother's name, and I never what? hear that, and I love that name. Oh, wow. So, And I know that your name is Ethel, and I got so excited when yeah. I saw it. Yeah, it's like, an oldie-timey oh, name. I love it. Yeah, I Ethel love Stephanie. It. Yes, well, and my great-grandmother's name was Ethel, and I adore her. She yeah. was. On, she walks on water. So. I love it. I love um, it. It's a great name. So you know, Ethel, Maude, Hazel, yes. those old names, Mildred. <laughs> so classic. I love Yes, it. we need to bring them back. Absolutely. My daughter is grateful, though, that I did not name her <laughs> Ethel. I did not carry on the family tradition. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but Ethel used to make candies. And that's mm-hmm. where the pecan logs came from. Is that's that right? right? Yeah. So yeah. She would it was her bridge candy. club. Yeah. My hey, grandmother's bridge club. club. <laughs> yeah, became the candy making club. My grandfather got the idea one day that he would sell candy yeah. and he interrupted her bridge game yeah. and said, Ethel, <laughs> we got any candy. And she looked around at her sisters, Hazel Pearl. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Birdie. <laughs> trying to remember, Ruth. Uh-huh. And they all... Got in the kitchen, Orene mm-hmm. had a great aunt Orene, and they figured out how to make pralines, divinity. The yeah. pecan log roll actually came later. There I said a pecan. <laughs> and they, the production started yeah. ramping up. And so for the first few years of Stuckey's, before we really got a manufacturing mm-hmm. facility, and w- the f- first manufacturing facility was a bunch of Bunsen, Bunsen burners 
in a warehouse. (laughs) He really bootstrapped it. He really did. And it's amazing what he's been able to build because he took it and, you know, the depth that you were talking about with bringing manufacturing in, he did that. But he also bought the sign company so he could put billboards everywhere. He vertically integrated. He really understood the concept of building a business, having a vertical, you know, Mm -hmm. the Control the cost, control control the operations. And, I mean, he mastered that. So there's no surprise that he was so successful in his life time with Stuckies. And it's sad, you know, that the corporations came along. And I think that they failed because they didn't have the heart. It wasn't the heart that your yes. grandfather had for the business that really, you know, because he really, this you could tell that this was just a passion. And and I want to read this quote from him oh, okay. because it is just so telling about the brand. It says, where every traveler is a friend. If unthinkingly you render a disservice to a neighbor, all is not lost. You can see him or her again soon and make amends. But should a traveler leave one of our shops with a feeling of dissatisfaction, then we can indeed despair. The traveler is gone. With them, it has has also gone their respect for you and for the company you represent. And it is not likely that any of us ever again will see him or her in order to make things right. Right? I love that. There's because so you had nuggets chance. there. Yeah. That that are relevant today. Right. So it's interesting because he was around the 1930s and yeah. 40s. And when I bought Stuckies, I did not have a business background. Right. The one thing I did get, in addition to the debt, right. and thank God I got the trademark, but I got a box of his papers that had not been wow. opened in over 50 years. Wow. It was like opening a time capsule. And I found that quote. I found his papers. I found how he built the business. And there are nuggets that can be extracted that are still relevant today. Yes. Maybe it's slightly different. Maybe you're not going to advertise by billboards. Maybe you're going to do Google ads instead. But the concept of integrating your businesses so you control as many of the core aspects as possible. Mm. He did that. The concept that you usually just get one shot yeah. At that first impression with the customer. Mm-hmm. And that if you blow it, yeah, you don't get that. It's not like your next door neighbor who you're going to see again. And you can go over right. and bring them a casserole and apologize, whatever. Right. You're They're gone, especially if you're in the interstate business. Right. They're, they're off to the next exit. And, and they're, they're not going to stop. They're the not stopping suckies. again. Suckies. So always keep that first impression in mind when you're in business and then the branding yeah the billboards he he said at one point and i found this in his papers and i just loved it that he spent he had almost as much money in inventory for billboards wow. as he did for candy wow now i don't know if that's actually true <laughs> but just the fact that he said that right and he mm-hmm. said that he had so many billboards he lost track of them mm-hmm. absolutely yeah and so that's what you've got to do. You've got to brand, brand, brand. Mm-hmm. Well, and Stuckey's has seen so many changes. I mean, when if you think about how long ago your grandfather started the business, and you know the first the first decline was about sugar rationing. That's right. After World War Two, World War Two. So I mean, we talk about having to overcome COVID and having to overcome. And yes, these are major issues. You know, major milestones that we're having to overcome, and and you know, global tragedies, but. You know, the sugar rationing after World War II nearly killed his candy business. And the gas rationing. And the gas People rationing. People weren't traveling by car. Right. And then the railroad. So the railroad developed, and now they weren't taking road trips. They were taking, you know, railroad now from yeah. East Coast. Well, what Coast. really killed us was the airplane. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, obviously, airplanes, plane travel 
was around in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, but it wasn't affordable. Right. And it became affordable in the 1980s with the Airline Deregulation Act. So Stuckies have been right. sold at that point, but that's part of our downfall under other corporate sure. hands yeah. because people just weren't traveling mm-hmm. by car. But absolutely, he had a, a terrible setback. Right. During World War II. And he had another big setback when the interstate highway system came along and it bypassed all of his stores. And the big picture here to tease out is that if you are in an intergenerational business, Mm -hmm. a business that's been around 50 plus years, you know that these outside factors that are completely out of your control, you Mm -hmm. can't control if there's rationing, you can't control if there's a pandemic, you can't control if there's an oil embargo. Right. They're going to happen. Right. Right. And it's the it's the trend that right. you look at. You don't look at these short-term ups and downs. You're in it for the long haul. And I think too often private equity – right now I'm just going to bash private equity because I have <laughs> not had a good experience trying to pitch to them and I've decided it's not a fit for us. Right. And that's okay. It, it's okay. I did the same thing. It wasn't a fit for me. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, the, and they may be a wonderful fit for if you're in a different position, but it's sure. not it's not a good fit for our brand. Right. It's not a good fit if you're looking at being in a business for a long haul. Right. And I bring up private equity because their model is different. It's yes. three to five years. We want a solid return on investment. They've got these investors that they pull that often have a very specific business in mind. Mm-hmm. It's a different model. It really is. Yeah. But the model that I value is the long-term model, is the model of I am not just building a business where I'm going to turn a profit. Right. I am building a community of people. They're not just customers. They're people who share a passion that I share. And my passion, and I think the passion that I hope I'm building with Stuckies, I'm building a community, people who care about this country, people who care about small town America, Mm. who love road trips, who love exploring the back roads. Absolutely. Of seeing small town America, supporting local, supporting local businesses, supporting Mm -hmm. family-owned businesses. Yeah. That's what we stand for. And if you stand for that too, then I invite you to go buy a pecan log roll. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think that that's, it's so important to note because, you know, it was the same thing when I was building my business. I had some standards that I wanted to maintain and those standards were going to cost more and give us a lower profit margin, but it was important that I maintain them and that wasn't going to work for equity. Um, so yes. uh, for me, it was, well, then I'll just not take a salary and I'll just bootstrap it and figure out how to get by so that Oof. I can continue, you know, doing what I want to do because I know it's the best thing for the business. And sometimes, you know, you have to find that alignment in a different way. And so, you know, I applaud you for sticking with your your values because it, it is difficult. Um, but as you build the brand, right, you can charge more. Absolutely. There's a premium for that. There's a premium. For and then your better. margins are going to improve. Absolutely. But it just takes yep. time. And, you know, for that time, you know, you're basically buying that time um, from yeah. yourself, you know, because you're saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to keep investing and yes. I'm going to keep putting my time, my effort, my money back into this business because I know it has value. And then that value is there. And then you're then, and then private equity can't afford you anymore. So there. <laughs> I know by the time private equity might actually come to Stuckey's right. with a decent offer, we're not going to meet them anymore. I know. Well, and that's, that's, that's the way it works. <laughs> it's a catch 22. It is. Of it is. Investing. <laughs> it is. 
So you came from a very different background, you know, obviously law and, you know, uh, public service. Public service. So, yeah. and now you're in the business world. I mean, completely opposite, right? So public service is, is um, a totally different mindset, you know, obviously. So the transition, how has that been? Actually has not been hard at all. And Good. I think a large part of what I've done is integrate what I've done in the past with what I do today. Yeah, absolutely. And I see part of what I do is public service. Right. I like to visit these small towns that other people just drive by and they pass by the exit and they don't pull over. Yeah. And I like to applaud them and herald them and talk about the amazing things. It's so funny. I was in a coffee shop today. Yeah. I started talking to the guy in line with me. Okay. And he's like, I know you. You're that lady on... LinkedIn, he's always stopping at places. I swear I was so, it was validating. You know, right. it wasn't like puffing me up. It was just validating that right. the message is resonating. Absolutely. It's not about me. It's about the the message and the community that you, it, it, I'm trying to put out there. Right. And we started talking about small town America. And he's like, yeah, I'm going on this trip and I'm going to pull over. I'm going to see Shreveport. And I'm, he's like, I think Shreveport's kind of boring. I'm like, are you kidding do you know Elvis gave his first concert in Shreveport? Wow. You can go see the statue. And by the way, the only jingle he ever made, the only commercial Elvis ever made was for the donut shop there in Southern Made wow. Donuts. And it's still operating. And mm. they don't open till 4.30 p.m. How weird is that? But they And, and it's yeah. a famous donut <laughs> shop. Like Johnny Cash used to right. go there. So anyway, I love that. I love right. saying, well, wait a minute. Yeah. This place is really interesting. Right, right. And then I like meeting people who are like, Hey, I loved your post on Tucumcari, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. I'm from there. And, you know, and it's just, that's how you, you connect with people. Yeah. You're so engaging. It's a public service. The other thing that I've done throughout my career, mm-hmm. I started as a public defender. So I was a litigator, but I was a public defender. Interesting. Yeah. And then in the legislature, I often represented the minority interest. I was in the minority party in Georgia. And then in representing the environment, mm-hmm. I represented Sierra Club, River Keepers. So quite often we would be coming yeah. up against large corporate interests. So the the connective tissue and all of that is that I was advocating for the underdog. Wow. I love it. And that's what I'm yeah. doing right now. Stuckies is the underdog. Yeah. We're the bad news bears of the candy industry right now. I go right. to these candy conferences and I'm at the I get in the CEO events. Right. But I'm in there with C's Candy, Hershey's. Mars Wrigley, the big players. Right. I'm the, I'm the scrappy underdog and you got to be able to advocate in well, a way that's going to get you legitimately at the table, which absolutely. is where we belong. That's you know? where we belong. You need absolutely. To see it at the table too. And I think America wants that. I do too. And I frankly, it's yeah. been really, really refreshing how welcoming the CEO community is. Isn't it? Yeah. I thought even I the big like people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was at this conference and I, I pulled aside the CEO of uh, Mars Wrigley, the and he's from Jackson, Mississippi, of all things. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I told him a few tidbits about why I love yeah. Jackson. <laughs> so Anyway, he was very approachable. Right, right. Well, very and I find that most of them are. Like yes. the CEO think tank I belong to, very approachable. Yeah. Uh, I, I have 
the best, most transparent conversations because they're not threatened by me. Right. I'm not, you know, I am not a threat so, to Hershey's. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's actually refreshing. And, you know, it's so funny because I was saying this um, to a friend earlier that um, with this podcast, one of the most surprising parts of this podcast is how we've been embraced by high-level executive men who say, yeah, it's about time we start hearing this. And, and yes. I'm, I'm really grateful that this is getting out there because I agree, women deserve a seat at the table and, you know, we should be able to have the same conversations. And it's been refreshing. And for you to be CEO of Stuckey's yeah. now is just amazing. And when we hit it big, when I hit that, my goal is to be at $100 million. Yep. Gross sales, and then I can retire. Okay. And I've got a business. My business partner seventeen years younger than me, so yeah, that's yeah. my succession plan. When I hit Good. that mark, right, and I go on that great road trip across America in my retirement, I'm. St- I really want to make time for upcoming, you know, entrepreneurs. Yeah, because yeah. that's what's we been done for me. More. Absolutely, that's what's been done for me. Yeah, we need so to got to pay it more. forward. So mm-hmm, put my, I'm holding myself accountable now. <laughs> All right, you said on it. Record. <laughs> me and. 15 years can look at this and say, all right, I yeah. promised I was going to do this. That's awesome. You got to get back. Absolutely. So let me ask you this, because I feel like this is a, an important question, especially with everything that you've had, you know, going on over the past, well, since 2019, but well before that. So as women, uh, we mm-hmm. often give away our power. We often yeah. give away our power. We give it to our spouse, our kids, our coworkers, our, you know, uh, our, our boss, and we we give them credit when we should have stepped into our own power. Um, tell me about a time that you gave away your power, and then tell me about a time that you stepped into your power, and what was the difference for you? That's such a fascinating question. I have been fortunate in that my career, I have had lots of opportunities to build consensus. Yeah. And I think that started early on. I was fresh out of law school. I was in Athens, Georgia. I practiced law there for two years. That's where I started my legal career. And I got approached to be president of the local league of women voters. Nice. Okay. And I was so flattered that they asked me. And I found out much later on that I was like the 12th person there. <laughs> I, mean, I was so young and inexperienced. Right. But what a wonderful experience to be Absolutely. sort of thrust in that leadership role. And I bring that up because if you've ever been involved with the League of Women Voters, they're mm-hmm. nonpartisan. Okay. And their entire model is consensus building. So any decision that they make is built on this collaborative approach. Interesting. And that has served me so well. That was my first leadership role. Yeah. At age, I would have been 25. Yeah. And it's carried with me throughout my career. So I don't think I've had a situation. I mean, sure, there's been maybe some isolated incidents where I thought, oh, somebody took credit for something I did. But sure. nothing nothing that really strikes out at me that, or, you know, today I'm just kind of bitter about it. Or, or not necessarily that people would be bitter. But I don't. I don't harbor anything like that. Okay, great. And I think it's because I've been fortunate to have had that early mm-hmm. training and I've just made it part of how I get things done. Yeah. So in the legislature, right, I would get any issue. I would right. I would tr- I would be bipartisan. You you cannot pass anything. I agree. Really and truly, that's going to have sticking power. Yes, maybe you can ram a piece of legislation through and you can, by God, I'm going to get my way. 
But in the long run, mm. it's really not going to be embraced. And right. I learned pretty quickly in the legislature, you might be able to get a bill passed. You might be able to bully your way through or you're chair of the committee or you're the speaker or whatnot. And you get that thing through. Right. But the secret is in the enactment. Right. Right. This is true. Are there were some terrible bills that people it? rammed through. They didn't pay. They didn't take the time to build consensus to work out the issues. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many of those. And, and as a lawyer, I would see that. I would flag like there's all these problems. But since they weren't working with right, everyone, I was like, fine. Okay. Find out for yourself. Two years later, that issue would be back because it had been declared unconstitutional. Right, right. Because there was not consensus from the beginning and then there's no buy-in. Yes. So right. when you don't do it the right way, right, you may be a short-term winner. Right. But in the long run, well, you I will not be. And history will often show. Absolutely. I mean, I think of the gay no marriage stuff that was rammed through. You know, we yeah. passed this constitutional amendment that said, we really, really, really mean it in Georgia that we don't want gay people to marry, although it was already in the law. Right, right, right. And then that was struck down as unconstitutional. Right, right. So well, in and the long I think run. I think when you don't build consensus <laughs> in any part of life, you know, right. whether it's a business, marriage, whether it's business, law. whether it's law, mm -hmm. you're going to have backlash. And, and you gotta, you know, one of my things that I say all the time is, this is not the hill I want to die on. So right. choose your battle, right? Like you don't have to. You have to. You have to concede sometimes, right? And sometimes. Reaching consensus means that you're going to concede on this, but then you're going to get your way on something else. But then you're you're buying in because everybody feels like they're winning in the end, right? Because if, yeah. if at the end of the negotiation, at the end of you know uh, structuring a bill, you're you're going to feel like okay, I'm getting I'm getting what I want out of this, and I might concede on something that doesn't mean as much to me, right? But yeah. that building consensus, I think, is how you negotiate everything in life, and I think that that leads to yeah. happier relationships across the board. And the key is how you structure from the beginning. Right. So that's what I learned from the League of Women Voters. It's carried me throughout my career and throughout my life. Right. So if I was working on a bill, I'd structure from the beginning. Who am I going to get at the table on this? Mm. Who do I need to reach out to? And same with business. Yeah. From day one, my business partner and I decided we were going to share power. Right. We were going to share responsibilities. We were going to mm -hmm. share the finances. And right. we put in place a structure that would foster that sharing, I was going to say mentality, but culture, I think, is the better word. Right. Now, do you have something in place where, let's just say you disagree on one thing, right? Budget. If you disagree on a budget, does one of you have mm -hmm. a higher... Okay. So I yeah, think there's that certain that areas of certain expertise. Areas, right. Yeah. So, so if I, I, I like the branding, marketing. Right. Yes. I, and initially, I was like, well, I'm sales, but... He's really good at sales. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and I think it's important because as long as you have an understanding of, look, I may disagree with you on this, but it really is your expertise yeah. mm -hmm. and you can let go of that, then you can trust that they're going to make the best decision and have your best interest in mind. Yeah. Regardless. I think you both have to be willing at times to defer to the other. And, and that's where you learn. You don't yeah. learn by always getting exactly what you want. No. Sometimes the things that have worked out the best were exactly what I didn't want. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you learn. Um, so I would say, um, you know, when we're young and we're kind of going into our career, we have this idealistic version of what we think our life is going to be like. And, um, you know, I know at 18, I was, 
I I was determined I was going to be an attorney. <laughs> I was going good to, career choice. I know I yes. was going to be a Noble prosecutor. Profession. I was you know I had this whole thing developed in my mind, and none of my adulthood has turned out the way I thought yeah. it was going to. Um, and I wish I could tell myself at eighteen it's going to be okay if you yeah. don't. What would you tell your eighteen year old self? Yeah, I think it's going to be okay. I think yeah. one of the challenges I remember, especially when I was young, was I had a fair amount of anxiety mm -hmm. about succeeding. Yeah. And yeah. I think this is definitely something if you're a CEO, mm. is part of your DNA. There's a reason why you're a CEO. Right. You are probably like me and like most CEOs where you want things to be perfect. You, you obsess are a, over details. You are overachiever, yeah. right? You are the A plus student mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in school. Yeah. And the thing I loved about law school, it's very humbling. When you get to law school, you realize everyone else in your class, you look around that class on the first day, yeah. they're all the A students. Right. Suddenly you are, you've gone from. <laughs> Exceptional to average. Yeah. Being <laughs> the top student at the small high school, right. you know, the top player in the little league to you're in, yeah. you're in the majors. Right. And right. it's a whole different ball game. Absolutely. And that was so intimidating for me. And I wasn't top of my class. Yeah. yeah. I was in the bottom part of the top third, but I did, you know, yeah. I was not the top 10. Right. And so it, it, it taught me a little grace. Mm -hmm. So I think give yourself some grace. Mm -hmm. Recognize that perfection isn't all it's cracked up to be. Yeah, I agree with and that. And the hardest lesson, and I'm only just now learning it, and I would definitely tell my younger self, treasure the failures. Yes. Yeah. I, 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 I never wanted to fail, and I always wanted to have – I wouldn't say necessarily the easy path, but the path of familiarity mm -hmm. because I knew I could succeed. Right. But you don't learn. No, I agree. And and, and that's the good stuff. One of my favorite uh, online mentors, I don't know him. I, if I ever met him, I'd probably pass out. I'm such a fangirl. <laughs> but Gary Vee. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And he just – he gets so riled up when he talks about how yeah. much he loves failure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is true. It's like I welcome failure. I invite failure. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that guy's crazy. And then I realized <laughs> that it's those tough experiences that make us human, that make yeah. us interesting. And I think that's why I've got a decent LinkedIn following. Yeah. It wasn't until I started talking about the failures. Right. Because everybody can relate to failures. Yes. We've all failed. We haven't all met tremendous success, but we've all failed. Yeah. So there's a commonality and there's a, you know, a, a sisterhood and a brotherhood of like, you know, hey, I get, yeah. I get it. I've been there, you know, and yeah. I read something today and it was absolutely so truthful. It says, we don't grow from the things we knew we could do. We grew from the things we thought we couldn't do. Oh, that's a great quote. And so yes. I think that that's something we really need to keep in mind is that you're never going to grow if you just keep doing things that you know you can do. You're yeah. only going to grow when you do those things that you think you can't do and then you do it. And even if you fail, you've learned so much along the way. So I, I it's something that I think we need to implement more in our lives. And embrace. 
Yeah. You're doing it right now, right? I mean, doing a podcast, (laughs) do you think that comes? scary. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, public speaking, you would think I've been a trial lawyer. I've been a politician. You would think that the public speaking would come naturally. Mm. Maybe there's a unicorn out there, but I don't think anyone just embraces public no. speaking. This was terrifying Mm-mm. to me the first it's terrifying. time I did. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, and that's a key yeah. part, though. If you are going to be CEO, you better figure it out. Right. And like being a trial lawyer, it was almost like a script. Right. It's almost like acting in a play. You have very specific roles. There's very specific rules. There's an order. You right. know what you're going to say. You prep. Of course, you've got to figure out the, the cross exam and the direct exam. That's There's an art to that. But there's a structure to it. Right. But the, the public speak, the podcast, that that's hard. That's getting out of that comfort. It that really is. It's having to think on your feet when you're not yeah. always prepared for that. <laughs> yeah. Now, I did do that. I did learn yeah. that with a, being a trial lawyer. Right. You do have to – you have to – constantly yeah absolutely be, and and that is something i would also advise myself be in the present moment yeah right don't don't beat yourself up over the past right it's over mm-hmm. and don't don't obsess over the anxiety of the future right when it happens right deal with it be present and that way you can learn you can grow you can you can right you know figure respond out, to it but don't react don't it, it's that anxiety of, well, well if this happens, then I'll do this and that happened, blah, blah, blah. And well, why don't you just think about where you are right now? Right. Absolutely. That's what you – that's the only thing you really can control is what's happening right here, right now. Absolutely. 100%. And that teaches you to think on your feet because yeah. you are 100% present. Yeah, absolutely. So what inspires you? What, what inspires you today? There's so much. I think just – all the all the businesses out there that are making it, all the small yeah. businesses. And I, I heard a statistic from the CEO of Hootsuite, who I yeah. had a conversation with recently, and I asked, you know, sort of what's what are the numbers of your business? And over 90% of their customers are small businesses. And that kind yeah. of plays out for what the customer base is in the United States. Small businesses, we're the backbone of this economy. We really are. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what inspires me. But too often what we hear about Mm -hmm. are the Elon Musk and the Richard Branson's and the Sarah Blakely's. And I admire all of them in different ways for different things. But there's a lot of other stories out there. There are. And we're not all going to meet that tremendous amount of success, nor do some of us want to. Well, but is that that necessarily the success? Right. 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 This is true. We define what the the success is. I was talking to a a man I met up with for coffee this morning, uh, and he does training for employees. And it was fascinating to me because he said, my sweet spot is training those frontline workers. Oh, great. He said, too often... The leadership training is spent on the management, the executive team. Right. But you want to inspire all levels. Absolutely. And we we got to talking about small business, and he told me about this amazing chocolate company from where he's from, outside of Green Bay, Wisconsin. And it's just like this beloved brand. And and I said, well, why don't they go nationally? He's like, they don't want to. Right. That's their success is being this wonderful local brand. Right. Well, and sometimes success might look like I get a little extra balance in my life because I don't have a nine-to-five job and I have a small business that I can do from home. Yeah. Or it's I run a store and I get to see people that are in my community every single day. Right. And, you know, expanding that will take away that 
close, you know, personal touch. So success is different for everybody. And we shouldn't judge somebody else's success based on what we feel is a value to us. Yeah. And I, in getting in my role and just seeing all the different businesses out there, I've redefined what I consider success, even though I did say I want to get to 100 million (laughs) sales. There's but something wrong with that. That's not a billion. No, no. Plus, that's not Jelly that. Belly or Hershey. Right, I, right. I want to, you know, sort of occupy a nice niche for well, the pecan. And I think that, honestly, you've got such a good brand that, um, you know, it's just such a good down-home, mm-hmm. like, community-building brand. People yeah. remember it from when they were kids. And to bring that back would be so inspiring. You inspire me. Well, I, I look you. at all of your LinkedIn posts, and I see you visiting on your road trips all of these little – little stores and small businesses and hotels and gas stations that have been around forever and ever and ever and owned by generations. And I just am so inspired by that because they're, they're continuing a legacy. And I am, I just love that. That's Um, the good stuff. Yeah, that is the good stuff. So one last question, what do you wish more people knew? And that can, you can answer it however you want. So what do you wish more people knew? I wish more people knew that, well, like I just said, most Businesses in America are small businesses. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's this sense of business being very corporate-y and being very profit-driven, and there is Mm -hmm. definitely that. Right. But when you're actually in it, Mm -hmm. there's so many fascinating people. When I, I would never have gone into business had it not been my family business right. that I had the opportunity to buy. Right, right. This was not what I would have done because I had this perception that business was very straight-laced and financially driven and uninteresting. Right. Far from it. Mm-hmm. I now think creativity is the superpower in most successful businesses. Absolutely. There's incredible opportunity for visioning and creativity and being an artist, even Mm -hmm. if what you're doing may not seem necessarily to some people as creative. And finances are actually pretty creative. And I'm not talking about being creative in a way that you try to hide money, (laughs) but creative in a way, how do you do a capital stack? Right. How do you raise revenue? Mm -hmm. How do you bootstrap? How do you bootstrap? Right. How do you create a budget? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you, your budget says so much about the morals and the values of your company. Oh, yeah. I 100% agree with you on that. More so than your strategic plan or your marketing plan. Right. I agree. So that's something I had not known before I took on. I wish more people Mm -hmm. knew that business, finance, there's a ton of room for creativity. And I wish more people who have sort of an artistic bent we consider going into business because we need more people like that in this world. I agree. And there's a there's amount of there's an amount of tenacity that you don't get in normal day-to-day life that you see in small businesses. Yes. And you see, you know, on an executive level, you know, and I'm not talking about the executive level where, you know, you've just it's just longevity that's gotten you there. I mean mm-hmm. like tenacity and fighting for what you love and there that comes with small businesses and owning a business and, you know, working hard late nights to get to where you want to go. And I mean, there's, there's nothing that can describe it more than tenacity. Yep. hundred percent. 
Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been incredibly thank insightful, you. and I have just really enjoyed meeting you. And you, I am a total fangirl of yours thank because you. I've been following you on LinkedIn, and I'm just like, she is so inspiring. And I love that you're bringing back the brand, but in a fresh, new, exciting way. But you're also honoring and maintaining the legacy of your grandfather. So thank you, you so much. I appreciate it. It's been a delight. Thank you. Thank you for joining our guests on the Pretty Powerful Podcast. And we hope you've gained new insight and learned from exceptional women. Remember to subscribe or check out this and all episodes on prettypowerfulpodcast.com. Visit us next time. And until then, step into your own power. 